Let's turn to that text, Isaiah 11. And this morning we're going to read just the first 11 verses of the chapter. Isaiah 11, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Parthros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning we are continuing our Advent series, the blessings that Christ brings as we see them in the book of Isaiah. We have talked about Christ's Advent bringing us comfort in the first week. We talked last week about Christ's Advent bringing us life. And this morning we look at this text, Christ's Advent brings peace. Brings peace to us here on earth And we see a beautiful picture of that peace given to us in Isaiah chapter 11 and the character of that peace. Once again, the prophet gives us pictures. Beautiful pictures to teach us wonderful spiritual truths. Remember, they're warned that Israel would go into captivity, but that would not be the end for them. God would send one who who would come and restore his people. God would send one who would come and bring peace. And of course, we know that ultimately this prophecy is fulfilled in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We look at verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. They would be taken into captivity, and yet there would be a king who would come and lead the people. And we see the description of that king here. He will come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Who was Jesse, children? Or maybe more importantly, who was Jesse's son? Jesse's son was King David. Remember the story of how David was going to be anointed? God told Samuel that he was to go and to anoint a king, one of the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel goes and and meets with Jesse, and Jesse uh, brings his firstborn son, Aliav, out. And certainly he thinks this is the one who's going to be king. But Samuel says, no, no, that's not the one God has chosen. chosen." So he brings his second son out, Abinadab. and, And once again, this is not the one God has chosen. So they get to the third son. They bring Shammah out. And, and once again, this is not the one. And Jesse brings son after son after son. Seven sons come out, and none of them are the one God has chosen. And Samuel, I wonder, almost in exasperation, says, don't you have any more sons? And they say, well, yeah, there's one more, David. But, but David is out in the fields. David is tending the sheep. David certainly can't be the one. He'd be the most unlikely choice to be the one chosen as king. And Samuel says, bring him in. And that is the one God chose. Jesse's son, David. David, who would become the standard for the kingship of God's people. When the kings are listed in the book of Kings and Chronicles, they're often compared to David. He was a king like his father David, a good king. Or he was a king like David, except that he didn't do these things. Or he was not a king at all like David. David was the gold standard of kingship. These people are told, you will go into captivity, and yet there will be someone who will bring, up, bring you out. Not just a king like anybody, it'll be a Davidic king. From the stump of Jesse, a branch from his root shall bear fruit. There would be a king like David who would come and rule the people after that captivity. Of course, we know the prophet is pointing forward to Jesse's greater son, not his physical son, David, who would die, but that that shoot from the stump of Jesse, who in time would come as Jesus Christ, greater than David. They thought David was the best. David would pale in comparison to Jesus Christ, the true king of his people. Again, an unlikely choice. He would not be born in the the capital of Israel. He would not be born in Jerusalem. He'd be born in Bethlehem. Born in Bethlehem. Oh, that's where Jesse was from. A Davidic king, but greater than David. A divine king sent by God himself to be a blessing for his people. We read in verse 2, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of the Lord resting upon this king to come. And isn't that exactly what happened? When Jesus comes and in his baptism, the Holy Spirit alights upon him like a dove, the spirit of God, the spirit of the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus Christ a spirit of wisdom, understanding. Those words have that idea of, of ruling attributes, able to, to understand situations, insight into what's going on. That's exactly what Christ did. The spirit of counsel and might, practical application, and ability to carry these things out. Jesus Christ came as the Son of God, the powerful King. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, these spiritual qualities which speak of his relationship to God, of course, Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God, David's greater Son, God's chosen divine King, who he would send to bring peace, to bring peace to his people. We read in verse 3, He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decides disputes by what his ears hear. This divine king would also be a righteous judge for the people, a righteous judge. He will not simply look at the surface. He will not judge simply by what he sees or decide disputes simply by what his ears hear. We wouldn't allow a judge who, uh, if someone came into his courtroom and looked really fine, dressed well, and spoke well, and the judge says, well, you must be innocent because you look so good, and someone who is poor and comes in in slovenly clothes and doesn't speak so well, well, you must be guilty. No, he, he's not a judge who will simply look at the surface. He is a judge that will judge righteously, that will judge properly. He will not decide by what his ears here, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The poor and the meek cared for by this righteous, equitable judge. He comes to properly judge his people. He is the one who would be strong to save his people. He does say, end of verse 4, he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. As a just judge, his judgments in justice would be a blessing for those who are poor, those who are meek, he would judge properly, but for the wicked, they would stand under his judgment. He warns, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will kill the wicked. Pointing forward not only to temporal judgment, but to that final judgment. When by the rod of his mouth, by the word of God, by the breath of his lips, all will be judged. This great king, this righteous judge, will bring judgment upon the earth. And only though, only those who know the one who brings peace, the one whom God would send, the divine king, only those who know him will stand in that time of judgment. Those who are 
poor in spirit, those who embrace Jesus Christ, those who are meek, those who are lowly, those who recognize of themselves they cannot stand before this righteous judge. He calls us once again today to humble ourselves before him. How will you stand before God on that final judgment day? Will you be dressed in in the good works which you have done, filthy rags, or will you be clothed in the righteousness of Christ because by faith you have embraced him, that one who God sent to bring peace on earth, peace between God and man. He calls you today. Put your confidence, put your hope, not in yourself, not in what you have done, but put your confidence in the one who brings peace, that divine king, that righteous judge, Jesus Christ. He is the one who will bring peace to his people, peace between God and man. And the prophet here gives us a beautiful picture of what his kingdom, his peaceful kingdom, will look like when our kids were growing up pretty much from the time that they could hold a pencil. Uh, When they came to church, they had to take notes of the sermon. Now, those notes were always age-appropriate, so as they got older, they would write sentences and then later paragraphs. But when they were little, all they had to do was draw a picture. Just draw a picture of what you heard in the sermon. And it was a text like this, where I so looked forward to going home and going over those notes with the kids to see what pictures they drew. Because kids, even you can imagine what's going on here. Look what the prophet says. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, kids, even you could draw a picture of that. In fact, maybe this afternoon you want to do that. You want to ask mom and dad, hey, I want to know where's that verse in the Bible? Where's that verse? And you draw a picture of the wolf and the lamb dwelling together and the leopard lying down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf all together and a little child, you can even draw yourself there if you want. A little child shall lead them. A picture of peace, a picture of unnatural combinations. We don't expect to see a wolf and a lamb getting along together. We don't expect to see a leopard lying down with a goat. We don't expect to see a calf and a lion together. Unnatural combinations to point us to the miraculous nature of this kingdom. It will be a glorious kingdom of peace where even these unnatural combinations are brought together. A miraculous, glorious kingdom. He goes on, verse 7. Not only unnatural combinations, unnatural actions, verse 7. The cow and the bear shall graze. Now, bears don't graze, kids. Cows graze. Bears don't graze. And he says, their young shall lie down together. Again, unnatural actions. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Now, lions don't eat straw. They're carnivores. They eat meat. Unnatural combinations, 
unnatural actions to again point us to the miraculous nature of this kingdom, this kingdom of peace. And we are so thankful for these unnatural combinations and unnatural actions because in them we see a picture of how we can be here this morning. We serve a holy God. We serve a righteous God. We serve a God whose eyes are too pure to look upon sin. How is it we would dare to enter His presence today? Completely unnatural. It would take something miraculous for that to happen. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. He came and did that which was miraculous so that we who by nature are fallen and sinful, dead in transgressions and sins, can enter into the presence of a holy, righteous, living God and be at peace. We do not come into God's presence fearful this morning fearful to enter the presence of that holy God. But we come in a peace accomplished for us by Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. We read in verse 8, The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. When we think of that picture, children, Maybe you think about you know, your little brother or sister who is playing near the hole of a, of a scary, poisonous snake. You'd say, don't do that, don't do that. Don't put your hand by the snake hole. That's a dangerous thing. But in God's kingdom, no fear. There is peace. There is no fear because God is the one who is in control. Verse 9, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God brings peace. Peace to His people. A peace between God and man. God and sinners reconciled through the work and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what the, the prophet points us forward to. A peace for the people of God and even a peace for the nations. Look at verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Yes, Christ does come to bring peace for His people within Israel. But it is a peace that overflows to the nations, to those who will look to Him as their hope for salvation, to those who look to Him as their source of life and of peace. He is a signal for the peoples. Another translation says He's a banner for the peoples. Jesus Christ comes as a banner that there is this peace between God and man for all who will embrace Him as their Lord and as their King. He is the one who is 
who is signaling, who is the banner. And, and once again, this Advent season, that banner is unfurled. It is the time of Christmas. People are aware something's going on. The banner of Christ is being unfurled once again to the world. And we have the great privilege of explaining to the world the truth of Christmas, what this season really is all about. We've been talking about Advent. This is our third uh, sermon now. And I've been saying, I think every, every sermon I say this, the time is ripe for the sharing of the gospel. Even the world recognizes something. Have we shared that truth yet? The banner's being unfurled. The world will get it wrong if we don't explain it properly to them. Perhaps, perhaps it is this time where God will use us to share the truth with our neighbor, with our coworker, with our family member who may not embrace Jesus Christ as we do, that God might use us to tell them the story of peace on earth, goodwill to men, that God has reconciled himself with fallen sinners and brought us into a state of peace, of joy, of hope, of celebration this Advent season. It's a wonderful time. Christ, the banner of Christmas being unfurled before us, the one who comes to bring peace, peace for his people, a peace between God and man, the one whose truth we are called to bring to a hurting world who needs to hear that message that they too, by God's grace, might be brought in. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the truth of your holy word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to bring peace, that greater son of Jesse, that greater king than David, who would bring an eternal peace between your people and yourself by the death that he would suffer on the cross. Lord God, may we not hoard this beautiful message this Advent season. As the banner of Christ is once again unfurled, O oh God, open our lips to speak of the truth we know. Some of us have known this truth from the time we were children. May we share this glorious message with those whom you put in our path that they too might enter in to the peace of Jesus Christ. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.